0: Hi, this is Andrew and this is Keynote, the daily Now.TV chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Friday, November the 10th, 2023. it's rather like waiting for London buses or revolutions in Eastern Europe. You wait, and you wait, and you wait, and then they all come at the same time. We've been doing, as many of you know, this series on books that shaped America. The 10 books that shaped America, although, of course, there are many more than 10, uh, but based on the, the Library of Congress in association with C-SPAN, my friend Peter Slend, the first... Um, Six books were all written by men, Uh, Thomas Paine, The Federalists, Meriwether Lewis and William Clark, Frederick Douglass, Oliver Wendell Holmes, and Mark Twain. And then finally, on the seventh, we got a woman, Uh, Willa Cather, the author of My Antonia. And as it happens, we got another woman today. The eighth book in the series is... Uh, by an African-American writer, very distinguished one, uh, Zora Neale Hurston, Their Eyes Were Watching God. Um, Peter, am I being a little facile here, you know I have a tendency towards facility, um, in, in, in judging these books according to the gender and color of their authors, or is this important? Of
1: course it's important. And as I've said a couple times on this series, we're looking at different topics, different eras, different viewpoints. The Library of Congress's list of 100 books that shaped America. Um, in the early going, very few women were included on that list. And that's why it took us seven weeks to get to Willa Cather, eight weeks to get to Zora Neale Hurston. Next week is a co-authored book by a woman. So. Um, you're not being facile about this. Uh, it is an important part of bringing in different eras, different topics, different viewpoints.
0: Uh, Peter, in our last week's conversation about uh, Willa Ka- Kather, Katha, I'm never quite sure how to pronounce her last name. Kather. Uh, Kather, I noted that one of my guests on Keenon last year, Margot Jefferson, uh, very distinguished African American cultural critic, winner of the Pulitzer Prize, is not a, a big fan just because Surprise. she's a woman doesn't make a grain. In fact, for Margot uh, M- Margo Jefferson, Willa Cather Ka- is is quite objectionable in some ways. Is um is uh is uh, Zora Neale Hurston is she more? Uh, a, a less controversial figure amongst women and and African Americans is she universally regarded as a progressive, important writer.
1: That's interesting. Uh, Zora Neale Hurston really made a comeback in the nineteen seventies. This book, "Their Eyes Were Watching God," was written in nineteen thirty seven. Took place in the early nineteen hundreds in. Florida, uh, specifically Eatonville, Florida, which is now part of the Orlando metro area, but at the time was a very, very rural Black community. And it's only six miles from Orlando today, so it's been swallowed up by the larger city. Um, uh, Was she universal? No, nobody's universal. Nobody is universally loved or hated. But when this book came out, It it was it was fine. And Zora Neale Hurston fell a little bit into the the abyss and Alice Walker in the 1970s wrote an essay and praised Zora Neale Hurston for opening the door to black women writers such as herself and Toni Morrison and, and really brought the book back into our psyche richard wright did not native son did not like the book when it came out in 1937 and in fact wrote a review uh criticizing the book saying it was facile saying it was easy um it was played too much into into uh what we what we would consider the uh Um, stereotypes. And Zora Neale Hurston used dialect. She used early 1900s African American dialect in this book. And so for a 2023 reader, you have to adjust yourself to that dialect. And Richard Wright was not a friend of that, uh, not a fan of that.
0: We are speaking with my old friend, Peter Slen, the executive producer at C-SPAN and the executive producer and presenter of a wonderful series on C-SPAN. Ten books that shaped America. And they're not necessarily the only books, of course, and not even necessarily the most important. But if you're going to have ten, you've got to choose ten. Let's get to the plot, Peter. Tell me um,
1: what this book is about. This is about Janie's 60, 70 years on this earth, and her life story is what this plot is about. It is a it is a story. Janie is is uh, raised in Eatonville, or in a town similar to Eatonville, and she is surrounded by family. She is surrounded Jamie
0: by Af- right?
1: Right. She's surrounded by African American influences. And what comes through is her appreciation and her love of black people and black culture. And that's one of the big takeaways from this book is that she is celebrating African-American culture in this book. Um, Zora Neale Hurston, the author is regarded as a Harlem Renaissance writer. And yes, she did spend some time in Harlem. She went to Columbia and Barnard universities. So she was a very educated woman. She was educated as an anthropologist. And, but this book is set in the South and she wrote most of it while she was in the South. So love and appreciation of African-American culture, the strength, the power, the journey of a black woman in early 1900s America, these are the things you need to take away and these are the reasons that this book made an impact, because it, uh, exposed is too strong a word, but it highlighted some of these issues that perhaps had not been highlighted before.
0: The two issues that uh, I'm guessing uh, dominate the book is firstly slavery, and secondly, the failure of Reconstruction? Are they central backgrounds, at least in historical terms, to this story?
1: Andrew, I'm going to go on to limit. I'm going to say, sure, they are part of this story because they're part of African American history, obviously. But not, they don't override the appreciation, the beauty, the multiplicity of black culture that Zora Neale Hurston brings to life here. One example I wanna share with you along the, uh, what you just said, and I'm gonna read a quote, and this is written in dialect, I'm gonna avoid the dialect, Um, but this is Nanny Crawford talking to Janie, and Nanny was, Janie's grandmother, uh, very religious, you know, very upright woman who had been a slave. So the white man throw down the load and tell the black man to pick it up. He pick it up because he has to, but he don't tote it. He hand it to his women folk. Hierarchy, white man, black man, black woman. And that's part of uh, the beauty of this book, is how she exposes some of these hierarchies. So to go back to your original question, Jim Crow, slavery do play a role, but the beauty of Black culture overrides a lot of this.
0: Peter, in previous conversations about fiction, Certainly, the, the the Cather, the Cather book, and even Twain. You suggested that you prefer nonfiction. I, I get the sense that this
1: is a book that you rather enjoyed. I really did. I really did. Because if you remember, I, I'm not sure if it was during Twain or Cather that I said out loud to you, "Dang, I wish I would just read these as stories sometimes, instead of trying to find meaning in every word and and public policy in every word and and." I finally got around to reading this as more of a story first and then applied the other layers of policy and meaning and symbolism, et cetera. And so I, I did enjoy the story. I was wrapped in it again. It took me an hour to get into the rhythm of her writing. And once I got into the rhythm, I was uh, captured by the story. I'm a fan of Alice Walker's as well. And if you read the color purple, there are some, oh, everybody out there is going to go crazy. But there are some similarities in the stories. There's gender roles. There's the beauty of the culture. There's roadblocks in life that are, that are s- systemic roadblocks that have to deal with Jim Crow and with the legacy of slavery. So there are some similarities. And um, as a fan and a part-time friend of Alice Walker's, I, I will say that out loud that I think there are some similarities.
0: One of the books we discussed earlier uh, is Frederick Douglass's um, autobiography. Is there an element of autobiography in this fiction by Hurston, or does she just basically make the whole thing up?
1: There is autobiography in the sense of trueness to the times, to the people. She is not Janie, I don't think. Janie. In this story, Janie Crawford marries three times. Um, she has a journey that each, you can almost segment her life into four, prior to being married, and then her three marriages to Logan Killicks, Joe Stark, and uh, TK. Um, doesn't necessarily mirror Zora Neale Hurston, who again, went to three colleges, was trained as an anthropologist, studied in Haiti, worked in Harlem, but returned to the South.
0: We are speaking with my old friend, Peter Slan. We can't keep on meeting like this, Peter. We've got two more shows to do. Executive producer at C-SPAN of a wonderful new series, uh, 10 Books That Shaped America. Uh, I want to thank Liberties for bringing us this excellent content, a Quarterly Journal of Culture and Politics. I'm going to run a short excerpt about Liberties, and then we'll be back with Peter to talk more about Their Eyes Were Watching God, uh, Zora Neale Hurston's masterpiece of American literature. So don't go away, anyone. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. And you can subscribe to Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. We are speaking with Peter Slen, uh, executive producer at C-SPAN, a man putting together a wonderful new series on C-SPAN, 10 Books That Shaped America. Today we're talking about uh, Their Eyes Were Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston. Uh, Peter, earlier you, you noted that all this took place in Florida. Of course, the Florida today is not always associated with the South. There are parts of Florida which are very southern, and parts of Florida, which are, I guess, Caribbean or certainly not southern. Is there a southern quality to this novel?
1: Yes, absolutely. This is a book about the South. This is about rural Black South. Again, Eatonville was incorporated in 1887 as a Black town, and I believe they advertise it as no white families live here. And so it was the first black incorporated town in America. And it has been that way ever since. It was rural. It was agricultural. It was the workers would go off to Orlando or to wherever, work in the white households, and then come back. And then they were free to live their lives when they came back. And that's one of the themes in their eyes were watching God. She does end up in the Everglades. And obviously very, very rural and very, very tropical and undeveloped even around there at the time. Now, Miami was close by, it was growing, it was big. Um, even in the early 1900s when it started a real growth spurt. It was one of the fastest growing areas in the U.S. in the early hundreds and through the 1920s. And so this is a book about the South, and it is a book about rural black America.
0: It also seems a book about America or the mythology of America, of the founding of America, of a kind of freedom, is is there that quality to the narrative of 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 leaving somewhere and beginning again freely?
1: Uh, you know, i i I'm not going to go too far out on that one. i that That was not what I was focused on. What I focused on was a celebration of Black culture. Yes, she did leave. She grew. She married three times and each of those marriages brought her something or held her down. And so beginning anew, reinventing yourself, those themes do play in.
0: Is there a does she have a strong sense of identity as an American woman, as an African American woman, as a woman from Florida?
1: She had a strong sense as an African American woman period, full stop. That's who Janie was. And she was a very strong woman who was up against, as I read from that quote, the white man, you know, her husband's. And she had a very strong sense of herself, yes. And I think that's a quality she definitely shared with Zora Neale Hurston. Zora Neale Hurston had a white woman sponsor who funded a lot of her work and while that was great to have that financial support it was also a a burden and a tie down it was a it was a restriction on her so there's a similarity there you know life is full of reinvention, life is full of burdens, life is full of restrictions.
0: And, and the heroine of the story, uh, Janie Crawford, did, did she think of herself, I mean, she obviously, as you've noted, she, know, she thought of herself as an African-American woman. Did she also think of herself as an American woman?
1: That is not necessarily a theme in this book um, that I caught on that we didn't discuss it as being an American so much as this is a story and the reason this book is included on the Library of Congress's list is because of the the exposure of an African-American society and an African-American woman.
0: The female quality are self-evident in the book. It's a book about Female identity, emancipation—I guess—in sense, but also about rape and sexual violence. How central are they in the book, and, and how much did you discuss this in in the show?
1: We discussed it a little bit in the show. It was—it's not as central to the book. It is. Uh, it is almost as if Andrew, it was treated as okay. This is a fact of life. This this you know, this bs happens and that's kind of how it was treated in the book almost almost matter-of-factly
0: i mean you call it bs uh, peter but no, r- the they, raping I, of a of a I, I know you don't mean it in these terms but the yeah. raping of a of a young girl is, is not what most no. people would think of as bs
1: no and i think you knew what i meant i was trying no, not I know. to i'm not using a this this stuff, this crap, insert your own word there, happens. That's what I was trying to indicate. And how was it? Was it just taken for granted,
0: you think, by her within the narrative that this stuff just happens all the time? It's happened so frequently. It's so normal that it's barely worth commenting on.
1: It was not as frequent as as. uh, It could have been exposed in the book it was matter of factly treated. And I think that's something she was bringing to light. And the strong character that Janie was, that she got out of marriages that were tying her down, says, you know, more power. And that was her way of reacting. How does she compare
0: to my Antonia? Uh, the book you did last week about uh, a very different kind of woman in a very different America on the plains. Yeah. Plane.
1: yeah. Um, both my, both Antonia. And Janie. Are strong, driven people. Both Antonia and Janie strive for more. With Antonia, she was striving for her American dream. I did not get that sense with Janie that perhaps she did not have the option to have an American dream, but she did have an option to embrace her own power, her own womanhood, and her own self. And I think that's the difference between the two. Was
0: she happy?
1: Huh. And we're talking about Janie, not Zora Neale Hurston here. Um, Janie. You know, that's an interesting question and one I haven't thought about, but I'm going to say that, yes, at the end, she was content with the progress, and with the 60 plus years of her life that she lived. Yeah, that she saw that she had accomplished something. Does religion play a role in this? It does, it does. Um, Nanny Crawford, strong Christian who spent a lot of time praying on her knees, talking to Jesus, talking to God. Janie, not so much. I think, I think spiritual, I think you could describe her as a spiritual person, perhaps not uh, what you'd think of as a typical Christian. But that's part of the point of this title too, their eyes were watching God. Here's my interpretation. And there are a hundred interpretations of what their eyes were watching God means. My interpretation. Okay. This is what matters. This is what matters. This stuff is happening. And. But this is what matters up here. You noted
0: earlier that there was a mixed reception when the book first came out maybe because of her refusal to portray african americans as victims of the mythology of inferiority who who liked the book where was the the positive response when it came out well
1: in the night like i said in the 1970s when alice walker wrote about it i i understand that but were there right. people- let me, let, me, let me read two reviews. This is Lucille Tompkins in the New York Times book review, white woman, 1937. This is about her own people and it is beautiful. It is about Negroes and a good deal of it is written in dialect, but really it is about everyone or at least everyone who isn't so civilized that he has lost the capacity for glory. Richard Wright, 1937. Miss Hurston voluntarily continues in her novel, the tradition which was forced upon the Negro in the theater. That is the minstrel techniques that makes the white folks laugh. Her characters eat and laugh and cry and work and kill. They swing like a pendulum eternally in that safe and narrow orbit in which America likes to see the Negro live Between Laughter and Tears. So he was reacting strongly to what he considered to be the stereotype. You read the book and she's bringing real people to life, in my view. And that's what I appreciated about it. So, you know,
0: talking about this rediscovery, there were some people who, who found it a bit perhaps stereotypical in, in its portrayal of, of African-American lives. Um, some of the heavyweights really got behind the book. You, you mentioned uh, Alice Walker, uh, even Audre Lord, who's, who's very much in fashion these days, uh, uh, Henry Louis Gates. What is it about this work that made it such so powerful uh, in the 70s and 80s with the development of what people call black study programs?
1: I think it's the honesty of the book. I think it's the straightforward look at the successes, the glories, the foibles of black culture and black life in this time period. And this is what was reflected by Alice Walker, which is, this was life. This, the dialect, the, the conversations, the relationships between Janie and her friends and Janie and her husbands, this was real. And I think that's what brought that heavyweight group to her side.
0: In a sense, there's a bravery about this work, perhaps, Peter, in her unwillingness to fit into what people ex- expected of her. Um, where were her influences? Who, 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 in terms of her style of writing uh, and the themes and the techniques,
1: yeah. who was she influenced by? Well, you know, when she was in Harlem, one of her friends was Langston Hughes. Uh, the famous poet, and she studied at Columbia. She she was mentored by Franz Boas at Columbia, but that was there was a lot of anthropological study. Mm. And she was an anthropologist. And I think that was her influence as well. I'm not sure that you can, you can look back and say, well, Zora Neale Hurston is, is uh, writing in the, in the style a la X. Zora Neale Hurston was an original, and that's what needs to be recognized. Before we run out of time, and I, I want to make sure that our viewers hear this, Zora Neale Hurston died in poverty, as a ward of the state of Florida, in 1960. And she was broke. She was poor. She was destitute. She was in a in a facility. And when her papers and her her belongings were hauled. Out and where they were hauled out from. I apologize, I don't know. The story is that they were going to be burned. It was all going to be burned because it was just worthless stuff. And the sheriff happened by. And the sheriff saw this, saw this, and said, No, we're not doing this. And he literally poured water on. The papers. That's the story that I wish I knew more about. Was who was this sheriff, and how did he know Zora Neale Hurston, and why did he understand the significance? So we went to the University of Florida, where her papers are kept, Andrew, and you see her papers, and they're they're burned. You see, you know, half pages, and they're all in separate uh, cellophane. And they are kept that way because that's exactly what was left. So it's, it's an absolutely fascinating story. It's a, it's, a, it's a sad ending to a life. Did she ever realize the heights that she would be attaining later in life or, you know, past her life? No, she did not.
0: I sense uh, an element of anger almost with you in terms of how she ended her life. What's your conclusion about her? I mean, you can go online, you can find pieces in The New Yorker suggesting that um, she seldom, and I'm quoting The New Yorker here, seldom championed race pride. You can go to the LA Times and find uh, a film about her that that captured I'm quoting here her radical authenticity. She, she seems a woman who, who, who cleverly evades any kind of categorization.
1: I, I, I disagree with the New Yorker. I, I think perhaps that author was looking for a certain certain vibe from her, a Richard Wright type vibe. To me, the celebration of African-American culture and and African-American life is a strong and worthy endorsement of that
0: culture. Finally, Peter, 10 books that shaped America. You can't really quantify these books unless you look at something like the Federalist Papers, which has had such a profound constitutional impact. How would you like this book? To not only have shaped America, but shape it in the future. What would you like kids, for example, to get out of this book if they read it in school or in their spare time?
1: And we each week, Andrew, we have been having teachers on and in video pieces talking about how they teach this book. And this is a snapshot of American history and it's a unique snapshot female voice black female voice at a rough time at a jim crow time at a post reconstruction time in the south but a strong black female voice looking at that history at that time and you can get a real sense of that history.